I'm so grateful to Don, Bonnie, and the choir for leading us in worship this morning. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. I invite you to read along in your Bibles, or you can read along with me in your bulletin. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son in his name and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. This is the word of God for the people of God. I agree with Connor. Uh, the music's been incredible today, and also Stella, thank you. Uh, for Noel, I feel like Sarah, I heard you say, like, I love this song <laughs> when she started. I love that song. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. I know you've got a really proud row right here, uh, folks. Um, somebody asked me before the service, what movie are we talking about today? Because <laughs> uh, if you haven't been here, we've been try- talking about Christmas movies and drawing comparisons to the book of Isaiah. And friends, I'm going to disappoint you today because I, I don't have a movie. <laughs> Uh, More specifically, I couldn't figure out how to connect Isaiah to the classic 1989 movie Prancer. I couldn't do it. How do you compare the story of a little girl's meaningful friendship with a reindeer to the political mess in the midst of the narrative of Isaiah 7? I don't know. I couldn't do it, and I'm sorry. I will say you totally should watch Prancer uh, and have a box of tissues because nothing will make you cry more than when Sam Elliott from Tombstone breaks down and tells his daughter that he loves her. If you don't cry in that, your heart is dark. Uh, That's all I got to say, so be prepared. Now, in the past few weeks, we spent a lot of time talking about the overall manner of Isaiah, the feel, like the themes, the nature. But today, we're going to get really, really specific because this verse kind of needs to be specific. Now, I want to take you back to 975 BC, a time where no indoor plumbing was occurring, the wheel was pretty recent, and 3,000 years ago, the kingdom of David had split. It was 975 when the kingdom of David, one of the greatest kings in our history, in the history of the Hebrew people, the kingdom of David split. After the death of King Solomon, David's son, during the reign of his son, one became two. Now, of the original 12 tribes of Israel, two consolidated and became Judah to the south with Jerusalem as their capital. So Judah's in the south. The other 10 consolidated remained in the north as the kingdom of Israel. I feel like a weather guy. And their capital was in Samaria. Now, 200 years after that split, we're still here. A guy named Jotham becomes king of Judah, the southern kingdom, at the age of 25. And we're told that Jotham did what was right in the eyes of God, mostly. Mostly did what was right. 
That's actually pretty good coming from 2 Kings. Now, in the background of Jotham's 16-year rule, the kingdom of Assyria is becoming a superpower, and they're gaining ground. The kings of Israel, remember Judah, Israel, the kings of Israel and another kingdom called Aram know that Assyria is knocking on the door and not in, a, not in the way that we see Jesus knocking on that door, not in a pleasant way. They, they come to Jotham and Judah in the southern kingdom because they need a coalition. We need to put something together. We need to be on the same team against Assyrians, the Assyrian superpower. We need to band together for the sake of our existence. But before they can come up with a deal, Jotham dies at the age of 41. And his son Ahaz, at the age of 20, steps in. At the age of 20. What were you doing at 20? (laughs) I was at the University of Georgia. Good dogs, Travis. So Ahaz steps in, and unlike his father, Ahaz, and this is what it says, I didn't make it up, Ahaz did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Instead, it says he walked in the ways of Israel's kings. He practiced child sacrifice, and he also sacrificed and burned incense at every shrine. Shrines were, they were old places of worship on hilltops that some tried to really discourage after the temple was built. And while Ahaz is in power, big old Assyria is still the scary superpower, still a threat. No deal has been struck between Judah, Israel, and Aram to form a coalition. And these guys need Judah. They need the people. They need the army. They need Jerusalem. It's strategic. Jerusalem's up high. And so Israel and Aram decide they can't wait anymore. So they go ahead and move on Judah because they need to take it over, they need to to remove Ahaz, they need to install a king who is sympathetic to them so that they can band together and face Assyria. The year is 733-ish BC, and Isaiah 7 and 8 takes place in the midst of this conflict. Now, in Isaiah chapter 7, we learn that that as this threat is looming, the kingdom of Aram is building its army, and they're mounting an attack. And this information, if you remember from a few sermons ago, this information shakes the hearts of the people of Judah as the trees of a forest shake when there is a wind. Remember, Isaiah loves tree imagery. And so they're nervous, they're scared. So God tells Isaiah, the prophet, go meet King Ahaz over by the place where you do your laundry. That's that's literally what it says. Very specific, I know. God says, go, Isaiah, and take your son, Shear Jashub. (laughs) Tell Ahaz not to fear. Don't lose heart. Stay calm. These forces up here are coming to attack, but tell Ahaz that they won't get very far. So trust God. Remain calm. Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu says uh, this of leadership. Leadership is the ability to hide your panic from others. I, think there, I guess there's truth in that. Uh, the, the piece of advice I like a little bit better is this. Leaders don't have to be the calmest person in the world, but they should be the calmest person in the room. Because if people see that Ahaz is fearful and anxious, <laughs> then that same feeling just spreads like wildfire across the room, the body, the nation. And God knows that Ahaz is anxious. He knows he's wavering. And so God tells Ahaz, he says, Ahaz... You need a sign that you're going to be okay, don't you? And Ahaz says, yes. And so God says, ask me for one. You ever tried that? Ask me for a sign. Any sign you want, ask away. 
And Ahaz says, no, I refuse to test God. I won't do it. Which to the reader, and anybody who knows Ahaz, seems a little like false modesty, maybe. I don't think he's really being honest here. So God says, you know what? I'm going to give you a sign anyway. (laughs) There's a girl who's pregnant. She's about to give birth. And that son will be called Emmanuel. God is with us. That child will eat butter and honey. And before the birth, that boy learns to reject evil and to choose good, the land of the two kings that you dread, Aram and Israel, will be abandoned due to Assyria. <laughs> By the time this child is old enough, able to make moral decisions, the threat of war will be over. The other two kings you're so worried about will be out of the picture. So God gives Ahaz a sign, the name of a child and a motto to live by. We don't need to fear. There is calm, there is trust. God is with us. But God also gives another sign five verses later, and this is a part we never read. (laughs) Isaiah 2 has a son, and God tells him to name that son. And do you know what he names that son? Get ready. Buckle up. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And do you know what that name means? That name means spoil hastens, plunder hurries. Uh Uh-oh. And this child is, is also to be a sign that before this child is able to say mommy or daddy, Assyria will have taken care of these enemies. The war will be over. Another sign that surely Assyria will take care of the threat against Judah. And what happens In Isaiah 8, we see that Assyria is going to overwhelm those nations, and its power will spread fear. And Isaiah says, but God is with us. The span of his wings will cover the width of the land. Prepare to be shattered, enemy nations. Create a plan, but be frustrated. Speak a word, but it won't stand, for God is with us. The name of that little boy, Emmanuel, becomes something of a trusted battle cry in the midst of overwhelming odds. God is with us, Emmanuel, and Maher Shalal becomes a truth as well. Assyria overwhelms the enemies, spoil hastens, plunder is a sure thing. Of course, we know that at some point in this struggle, Ahaz does appeal to the ruler of Assyria, and he seeks safety and security and thinking that he knows best. He ends up not fully trusting in the name Emmanuel, God is with us. We know rather that he ends up trusting the king of Assyria, whose name, you're ready for this one, is Tiglath-Pileser. And his name means, my trust is in the son of Ashara. Ashara was the main temple dedicated to the god Asher, the national god of Assyria. So Ahaz ends up trusting in someone whose very name means my trust is in another God. Not trust in Yahweh, not trust in God is with us. It's so interesting to me that all throughout this narrative, Isaiah is telling the story, but he's using names to do it. (laughs) He's charting the course of Judah through the subtle or really not so subtle use of names, meaning of names. Just look back a second ago, a moment ago, when Ahaz and Isaiah met at the laundry place at the the laundry stream, Isaiah was told to bring his son Sheer Jashub. What does that name mean? It means the remaining few will return. And that name is important as, as, as a foreshadowing. Even in the midst of the comparably smaller conflict, Assyria will eventually lay waste to everything. Remember, 
Trees will be chopped down with the great Assyrian axe, and there's going to be nothing left over but a stump. And Isaiah 10.21 says, but a few will return. What's left of Jacob? A few survivors. <laughs> Isaiah's forecasting his story through names. He does it with Emmanuel, with Maher. The name Emmanuel, God is with us, is given as a sign that in the near future, even now, God is with you, God is with us. Don't forget it. But Maher reminds us that plunder and hardship follow. And it's all an incredible story told with prose and poetry, but also with names. But I can't help but wonder what it was like for those three little kids to grow up with names like those. I wonder what it was like to be named by God, by prophets, by kings. Most of all, I wonder if those little kids were able to live up to their names, live up to the expectation placed upon them at their naming. Names do, after all, carry a little bit of expectation. For example, I wonder if Meher Shalal Hashbaz... <laughs> Really lived into the spoil, hastens, plunder, hurries namesake, you know? Like, I wonder if when that kid came around the corner, people put everything breakable up higher. <laughs> like, that kid's going to break, some kind of mess is going to happen. That kid might as well have been named Bull in a China Shop. And if you think Maher was bad, I mean, talk, what about Sheer Jashub giving your kid the name Few Survivors? <laughs> like, what is that going to do? Adair, Adair and I went with our nephews and her family, nephews and nieces and, and babies and family, last week to Bryson City, where we rode the Polar Express to the North Pole. And we drank hot chocolate, and we enjoyed, we enjoyed that trip. It was great. Now, we don't have any children, but I did notice that a 90-minute train ride with babies and toddlers can really turn on you fast. And, <laughs> and you can't leave. You're stuck on a train. Now... My Polar Express journey was magical. It really was. But man, by the end of that trip, the amount, the, the tears were flowing like milk and honey. Naps needed to be hastened. You could have named that train car Sheer Jeshub because there were no survivors, or very few, <laughs> very few survivors. A lot of kids crying, even getting off the train. It was, it was nap time. I get it. Names are important. And they carry weight and story and expectation. And I wonder in our own ways if we can ever live up to our own names. I wonder if I can live up to mine. I wonder if you can live up to yours. I mean, have you ever thought about living up to those names? Some names and their meanings are probably easier to live up to than others. I told our Sunday school class, Andrew means manly. Um, it's from, don't laugh. It's from, why are you laughing? Is from Andros, the Greek, meaning man, literally man. Uh, but chapel means one who works at the chapel. So nailed it. Connor, Connor, lover of hounds and wolves. And you have a dog, so that fits. Bonnie means good and pretty. Um, oh, <laughs> wow. So some names aren't hard to live up to, no problem. But what about others? Adair, your name means wealthy spear or rich fork. She preferred the spear one, I think. <laughs> Other names, Dorothy, gift of God, my nephew Crosby, one who lives at the crossroads. I really like that. Alice, noble light. Jane, God is gracious. William, resolute protector. The name Michael, who is like God. The name Kristen, follower of Christ. Mary, beloved. Joseph, God will give. Some of those names are going to be hard to live up to. But I don't think any name would be harder to live up to 
and into than the one mentioned in Isaiah 7. The child will be called Emmanuel. God is with us. How does a kid grow up with that name? I imagine that kid probably grew up with heavy expectations, knowing he had received a prophetic name like that. That would be a hard name to live up to. And I don't know why you have the name you do. I don't. I don't know if Maher and Sheer and any of those kids or any of you lived up to the names and the meanings and the, keep, the, the namesakes you were given. And I don't know if Ahaz's Emmanuel was able to live up to his. I really don't know. But I love that behind the scenes, behind history and political conflict, behind the split of the kingdoms of Judah and Israel, behind the signs of children born and children named, throughout all of it, God had in mind a true Emmanuel, one that would live up to and into that name more than any other child had ever done or would ever do. Hear the words of Matthew chapter 1, while Joseph was trying to figure a way out of an engagement with Mary, already pregnant, and the child wasn't his. God's angel came to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not hesitate to take Mary as your wife. Mary's pregnancy is a miracle of God. She will give birth to a son, and this birth will bring to fulfillment things set in motion long before. When the Isaiah prophet proclaimed, this will surely be a sign, a baby will be born, and his name will be Emmanuel. God is with us us. Oh, and by the way, you shall name him Jesus, Yeshua. This name means God is salvation. God will save. And I promise you this, this child will truly live into and up to that name. Pastor George Kilpatrick says about the name Emmanuel, until that time, no one could measure up. The name was too big. And then Jesus was born, and because, all, because of all he was and all he did for humanity, we know that to him alone belongs the name. Only he fulfilled its glowing meaning. God is with us, truly. God is with us, and we look toward next week in this season of Advent. We look to next week when we celebrate the moment, Eugene Peterson says, paraphrasing John chapter 1, that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood to be with us. There is one, my friends, who has and is and will continue to live up to his name, Emmanuel, God with us. Of course, most interesting to me now is that we, the church, were given the task and entrusted to be the body of this Jesus on earth now. And because of that, We kind of have to take on the task and the meaning of the name. And to me, that means each of us is a little Yeshua, a little reminder that God is salvation, that God will save. But it also means that each of us is, each Jesus follower is a little Emmanuel, a daily reminder that surely God is with us. That we are not alone. And an expectation that we might continue to live into that promise. Linda and Kathy, that's what we did. You were Emmanuel's. You helped us tell people that they are not alone and that God is surely with us, that they are loved children of God. So friends, may you leave this place today with the knowledge that no other child, no other human being has lived more fully into their name than Jesus Christ, the Emmanuel. And may you know that the very meaning of discipleship 
of sanctification, of following Jesus, is that God has named us after his own son. God has shared the name Emmanuel with and upon each of us, and God is working in us and through us to fulfill and to make known in the world the promise of that name, that all might truly know that God is with us, that we are not alone. We just need to remember our name. Let us pray. God of grace and mercy, we give you thanks for the promise this morning of Emmanuel. The promise that no matter what in this life, we can hold on to that battle cry that you are with us, that we are not alone. Stir in us, O oh God. Do something in our hearts and our minds. Remind us that just as you have been Emmanuel to us, as you have saved us, as you are with us, you've empowered us through your Spirit to share with the world that God is salvation and that God is with us. Be with us now, O oh God. And send us out. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. And may this world truly know Emmanuel. In Jesus' name, amen.